we welcome you to Laguna Presbyterian Church, and we are so glad that you're here to worship the Lord with us this morning. Let us pray. Who is like you, O God? Wherever we look, the world around us speaks of the greatness of your power and the depth of your wisdom. It is your hand that carved out the seas, that raised up the mountains, that set the sun in place, that robed this earth with a thin garment of air, making it a haven of beauty and life. Amidst the storms of our lives and the brokenness of human history, you alone are the solid rock on which we stand, our only sure hope. Because of your steadfast love that never fails, we gather before your face this morning and lift our voices to sing your praise. Amen. The words of the psalmist call us to worship. Oh, how abundant is your goodness that you have laid up for those who fear you and accomplished for those who take refuge in you in the sight of everyone. In you, in you O Lord, Lord, I seek, I seek refuge. refuge. Do not, not let me ever be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me. A strong fortress to save me. You are indeed my rock and my fortress. For your name's sake, lead me and guide me. Take me out of the net that is hidden for me. For you are my refuge. Blessed, Blessed be the Lord, for he has wondrously shown his steadfast love to me when I was beset as a city under siege. I had said in my alarm, I am driven far from your sight, but you heard my supplications when I cried out to you for help. Be strong and let your heart take courage all you who wait for the Lord. On Christ the Savior, rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Yeah. 
The prophets invite us to confession. From ages past, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who works for those who wait for him. You meet those who gladly do right, those who remember you in your, in your ways. We have all, all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds like a filthy cloth. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind. Yet, Lord, you are our Father, we are the clay, and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. We know that nothing is able to separate us from the in Jesus Christ. Let us in freedom confess the wrong we have done. Because we know who God is, we may come boldly into the throne of grace to receive help in our time of need. Let us make our personal and silent confessions. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. The Declaration of Forgiveness from Isaiah chapter 43. But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Ethiopia and Seba, in exchange for you, the word of the Lord.
Scripture this morning is from Romans chapter 8. We have been preaching through the book of Romans, and we're going to pick up, for the context of today's scripture, we're going to pick up some of the text that was preached a couple of weeks ago. Uh, those of you who were here two weeks ago, it is the flying monkey text. You just have to ask somebody. You had to be here. So beginning Romans chapter 8 with verse 18, hear the word of God. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God, we know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. And the text for today, beginning with verse 28. We know that all things work together for good. For those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn within a large family. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When I left home for college, leaving Porterville, which is in the Central Valley where I was during my teenage years, I didn't do a good job at all of keeping in touch with my high school friends. Recently, I've reconnected with some of them on Facebook, and actually I don't recognize very many of them. Maybe you've had that experience. This year is our 50th reunion. You understand I was five years old when I graduated from high school. <laughs> Uh, people say that it's only the very rich or the very thin that go to things like that, so I'm <laughs> assuming there won't be very many of us there, for at least from what it looks like on Facebook. Some of us uh, tell stories, some of the stories are being told on Facebook, and uh, some people have really prospered compared to the situation of their parents. Some of them are telling stories that I didn't know when uh, we were in high school, some of them grew up in migrant camps. We were an agricultural Central California community. Uh, some of them grew up in the cheap hotel in town where their family cooked on a one burner in their room. And they've really gone into amazing achievement compared to the lives of their parents. Others of us never survived the psychedelic 60s. One of the members of our graduating class actually one of the nicest guys in the class is a convicted serial rapist and is in prison for life without any chance of parole, at least we hope. 
Uh, 20% of us have died. Three died in Vietnam, and others, many others, bear the scars of that war. I spoke at our graduation. It wasn't at all memorable. I can't remember anything I said, except that like many of the people who spoke at graduations in the 60s, I quoted the poem that everyone was quoting them, Robert Frost's The Road Not Taken. You remember, the last stanza is, two roads diverged in the wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. And of course, we students of the 60s always took the one less traveled by. Many people in our class have followed wrong paths. Um, many of them have made some bad choices. Mistakes have been made. But there are other things that have happened to them that are out of their control. Life has happened. Jobs have been lost. Crops have failed. The water in many of the Porterville wells has dried up. If you have a shallow well, you have no water at your house. Our, we have a deep agricultural well that's still there. There has been significant illness and tragedy and loss within our class, as in the case of many of us. And surprisingly, we look worse for the wear and very, very old. When people ask why bad things happen to people, even, even when they make good choices, Romans 8 is the place that makes a whole lot of sense of it for me. It's a picture of all creation groaning. Things are just not the way they're supposed to be. They're not the way God intended when he created them. God's perfect creation was marked long ago by humankind's rebellion. When we rejected God and we went our own way. And so... According to this text, decay, things like natural disasters, illness, some of the scars of human sin that creation bears. Paul even says that nature groans in labor pains and eager longing for the day that God is going to put it right. One of the translations uses the term creation stands on tiptoe watching for the day when God will fix it, when God will bring his perfect shalom and redeem all things. It is in this context, while we live in this gap between God's good creation and the day when he restores it again, that Paul writes the text that we have today and assures us all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. It would be a better translation the way the NIV translate it, translates it, which is God works all things together for good. I mean, you can't say that all things work together for good for anybody, can you? In fact, the circumstances of life are no better for Christians than they are for anybody else, are they? If your motive for loving God and for serving his purposes in this world is that you think that God will give you more comfortable circumstances, you are on shaky ground. I think there was a part of me deep down that used to believe that. But then I was, I, I realized I must be wrong when a friend of mine, a dear mentor, an older man, 
was struck with a terrible lung disease. It's very debilitating. He died way before his time. He was such a godly man. If anybody could have had nothing bad happen to them because they were good, it would have been Mel. But Paul himself didn't have easy life circumstances, did he? He said he went through beatings and shipwreck, imprisonment. Eventually, he was executed. When God entered human experience in Jesus Christ, his circumstances certainly weren't easy. He allowed himself to experience the depth of human pain and abandonment. So why are we surprised when bad things happen to good people, when bad things happen to God's people, when our life circumstances are painful? The extremities of life are just part of all of human experience as we live in this gap time between the original perfect creation and when God restores all things. The promise is not that God is going to give us better circumstances, is it? The promise, though, is that God will work together in all things, good things and bad things, for our good. Seems like in our anxiety, when we're faced with painful situations, we try to make this verse say things that it doesn't. Don't worry. Everything will turn out just fine in the end. Or... When God closes a window, or closes a door, he opens a window. Well, yes, sometimes God does intervene in the situation. But this scripture is not saying that. That's not the promise that is here. Or sometimes we read it to say, God gave me cancer because he wanted me to learn something. Or God made me lose my job because he wanted to get my attention. Yes, I think those things probably will get your attention, and you probably will learn something from God. But this scripture is not blaming bad circumstances of life on something that God does to you. The sense of today's text is more that God will use all the circumstances of life, no matter how good or no matter how bad they are, in this gap time, to shape us and to form us into his ways. Remember the Old Testament story of Joseph, of Technicolor Dreamcoat fame. What an arrogant kid. Daddy's favorite lorded it over his brothers. They got rid of him. They sold him off into slavery in Egypt. Out of the mess of Egyptian slavery, Joseph was eventually changed and formed into a very different man. And God opened the way for him to be in a very responsible position within the Egyptian government, risen from a slave to that. In fact, he was in charge of all the food stores in a time when there was famine. So his family came to Egypt seeking food in the famine and was able to be fed because Joseph had taken care of it. They didn't know it was Joseph that they came to, begging for food. But Joseph forgave them, and the comment in the text is, they meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. This is the week for St. Patrick. Perhaps you don't know in all the things that are the legends around Patrick, 
But St. Patrick was a slave too. He grew up probably in the 5th century, middle-class Christian family in an area that was probably either, would be called either Scotland or Wales today. And when he was a teenager, he was kidnapped by Irish slavers. He was taken to that crazy, wild country that was ruled by warlords, really a rough place. And he was enslaved as a shepherd for six years, a very, very hard life. In the midst of that experience, though, God met him. And that Christian faith that had been his family's, he'd never been particularly religious or bought into it, became real to him in the midst of his slavery. He encountered God, and his life was changed. Eventually, he escaped and managed to get back to Britain. And through that experience, God so formed his heart and shaped his character that he was able to hear God's call to go back to his enemies as a missionary, as one who would bring Christ to them. That's what he did, and that's how we know of him. St. Patrick was a great evangelist and a great bishop, telling people about Christ and bringing them to Christ in droves in Ireland. He certainly became a man who was a far cry from the person that he might have been if he never had gone through that experience of slavery. They meant it for evil. God used it for good. God was at work. Tim Keller, who is a Presbyterian pastor in New York City and an author, writes, What makes a life good is not good circumstances. Good experiences can be bad for you. And terrible experiences can be good for you. It's not so much about changing your circumstances, but about how your heart interacts with them. So what is the good that God is promising in this verse? All things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Don't stop there. Keep going. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. There's the good that Paul's talking about. God changing us. God conforming us to the image of Christ working to change our character, not so much to change our circumstances, so that we become more like him. My covenant group throughout Lent is reading a book called The Pilgrim Road that is by Albert Holtz. Holtz is a Benedictine monk and a teacher in the inner city schools of Newark, New Jersey. On a trip that he was taking during his sabbatical year, he visited Muro, Spain, he wrote about how excited he was. He arrived there in the evening when it was dark, and he could just barely see that the bay was sparkling water, clean white sand, so beautiful. He was staying in a little bed and breakfast in a room that hung over the bay. And so in the morning, he threw open the shades, so eager to see that beautiful bay that he had read about with the sparkling sands, with the, the wonderful blue water. And instead, what he saw was a mud flat going out half a mile. Half a mile is a long ways to see nothing but mud because the tide was out. And out there, 
in the midst of that mud, there was a dump truck, and there were workers, and there were people with shovels, and there were people with rakes, and they were very busy doing something that he really couldn't see. When he first saw it, he was angry. He thought, this is not what I came to Muros for. I want to see the real Muros. I want to see it like it really is. And then he realized that is the way it really is when the tide is out. This is the real Muros. He realized it is exactly the way it is supposed to look when the tide is out. In my life and your life have high tides and we have low tides. It's easy to see when the times are good and the tide is full that that's the way life is supposed to be. It's easy for us to say when the tide is out that those are unwanted interruptions that we just as soon ignore until they go away and the tide comes back in again. But there are things that can't happen when the tide is in, can they? In Muros, during low tide, what they were doing is they were cleaning up an oil spill from years before. It was the only chance they had to actually get out there and clean up the ocean floor. It was a very important part of each day as the tide went out for them to be able to renovate the bay in that way. So in muddy times in life, when the tide is out, it seems like there are parts of ourselves that are exposed that probably wouldn't be most of the time. We see something fresh about ourselves. I mean, you know, when something enters our life that's beyond our conventional coping, that goes beyond all of the skills and the knowledge and the self-control that we have, when you're at the edge of your own personal inner resources, when you're beyond your game plan, the situation may just look like that vast mud flat. It may be mud, but it's not empty, is it? Because it's filled with God's presence. God's presence is there, offering God's comforting embrace in the midst of the situation, offering opportunity to see ourselves, to see him in ways that we never have before. Do you think of your own low tide experiences? Boy, some of you have had some very low tide experiences. What did they teach you about yourself? What did they teach you about God? How might God want to use those experiences to change you? change perhaps even your character. Well, there's nothing intrinsically life-changing about low-tide experiences, is there? Sometimes it's just destructive. Parker Palmer writes, a heart can break open into new life, or it can break apart into shards of sharper and more widespread pain. When your heart is brittle, it will explode into a thousand pieces and sometimes get thrown 
like a fragment bomb back at the person or the cause that you think is the cause of your pain. Suffering can be just destructive to you and to everybody around you. But if your heart can be supple, in the moments when it can be supple, it can break open with greater capacity in order to hold life's suffering and also life's joy in a way that allows God's spirit to be at work in you, to be changing things within that low tide time. God can be at work, not in spite of the pain, but actually because of and through the pain. One way or other, when we go through experiences like this, we come out different, don't we? We might come out brittle. We might come out softened, changed, more conformed to the way God wants our character and our hearts to be. May we be people whose hearts are supple, who are open to God's work within us. Eternal God, we thank you that in Jesus Christ you do enter the hurt of our world, that you enter into our bottomless weakness, that you draw close to us in our powerlessness. So listen today for the groans and the yearnings of your world. For even nature longs for the wholeness and the healing which only you will bring. For the day when there will be no more earthquakes and floods and famines, no more cancer or AIDS or heart attacks or mental illness, no more disease. Have mercy today on all in our world who are victims of the brokenness of nature and the brokenness of human health. Hear the names of these for whom we pray as we speak them aloud before you. O oh Lord, your creation teems with bondaged folk who have not enough for life, not enough bread, not enough clothes, not enough houses, not enough freedom, not enough dignity, not enough hope. Have mercy on them. Bring peace. Bring restoration and fullness of life. Have mercy upon us and upon our world in all our need. Give us open and subtle, supple hearts. Change our hearts and use us for your purposes. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. As we affirm our faith today, we affirm it in the words of the first question and answer of the Heidelberg Catechism, written by people who were in the midst of the Reformation in Europe, some people who had been through a lot because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And so let us stand and confess our faith together as printed in our bulletin. What is your only hope in life and in death? That I belong, body and soul, 
in life and in death, not to myself, but to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who at the cost of his own blood has fully paid for all my sins and has completely freed me from the dominion of the devil, that he protects me so well that without the will of my Father in heaven, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, that everything must fit his purpose for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. Amen. Let us be seated and bring to the Lord our morning offering. If the struggle you're facing is slowly replacing your hope with despair, or the process is long and you're losing your song in the night, well, you can be sure that the Lord has his hand on you, safe and secure. He will never abandon you. You are his treasure, and he finds his pleasure in you. Started the work, we'll be faithful to complete. 
In humility and love we present these our gifts, O God. You have begun a work within us as persons. You have a long history of working in this your church, and you have placed us at the center of this city to be a lighthouse of your love and grace. We pray that you will bless our giving, even as we rejoice in having received so much. Use these gifts to build your kingdom of justice and righteousness and peace and love. We pray in your name. Amen. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is the table where he meets us, the table where he embraces us with his own wounded hands. It is the table where he comes and feeds us with his very self. And so you, if you follow him, you are very welcome to come to this table, to be fed by him, to be embraced with his love. Let us give thanks. Living God, your eternal purpose and plan have been working out in this cosmos and indeed in the life of your people and in human history. You spoke to our father, Abraham, and you called him and promised to bless him and to make his name great. And so he carried the promise and the blessing. You sent your servants, Joseph, and his family down into Egypt. And in the midst of great suffering, your mysterious purpose and plan was at work. You fed the world. You preserved the promise. You renewed the blessing. You gave your servant Moses the law to give to your people to shape and form their life. In the midst of our human unfaithfulness, you remained faithful and you blessed your people and brought those promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and to all of Israel. You brought those promises to fulfillment in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We learn from our text this morning, Lord, that you've known us from the very beginning that you've called us before the foundation of the world. And those whom you called, you have justified, you've forgiven. And those whom you have justified, you have glorified, and you are at work transforming our lives, turning us into little Christ. We are the body of Christ. And here we gather at this, your table of grace, your table of love, your table that assures us of your continuing work in our lives and in the world. Here our hearts are filled with thanksgiving for who you are and for all you have done in the history of your people and for the hope that we have 
that your work will come to completion in the fullness of time, that the new creation will burst into human experience and we will all be changed in the twinkling of an eye and everything that is broken and wrong will be made right. At this table, we look to the past. We are alive in the present, and we have hope for the future. We praise you and thank you. And we pray in the name of Jesus who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. And after giving thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this remembering me. In like manner, after supper, Jesus took the cup. He said, This cup is the new covenant, sealed in my blood. As often as you eat from this bread and drink from this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. All are invited, everyone who knows they need grace, forgiveness, love, hope, are invited to come and receive Jesus Christ. Let us worship the Lord. Would our elders please come? And our ushers will bring you a row at a time. We invite you to take a piece of bread, dip it in the cup, commune, return prayerfully to your seats down the side aisles until we have all been served. Let us worship the Lord. When you walk through the waters, I will be with you. Pass through the rivers, I will be by. Though the waves and the currents shall not overwhelm you, my hand reaches down, my presence is nigh. And says the Lord who created his people, says the Lord who has formed us from. Turn to ashes, my 
Oh. 
May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen.